Hey y'all, Justin here. Just a reminder that The Wedding Scammer is a seven-part story that isn't complete until you get to the end. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Previously on The Wedding Scammer. This sounded perfect. And uh, you know how, what they say if it sounds too good to be true. I think maybe, maybe this is a con. This is somebody who is playing CEO fantasy camp. And we're all just the campers because he doesn't know what he's doing. But if we're being scammed, what is the end game? What is the purpose? And I'm like, damn, this may define me. I may be defined as the person who was stupid enough to get conned. Project is we're going to investigate Michael Esposito and take him down. At what point does curiosity turn into an investigation? I think about that a lot in relation to the story, and in particular, to how I was doing in late 2016. Just a few months after Michael Esposito shut down Newsarati and left dozens of former employees jobless, struggling to make sense of what just happened to them. People like me. People like Nancy Lee Jobes. To this day, I don't know what he wanted his end result to be, but it certainly wasn't paying anybody. And it certainly didn't make Newsarati happen. You may remember Nancy from last episode. She was an editor at Newsarati, promised a salary of $10,000 a month that never came. But Nancy also set up one of the Facebook groups dedicated to this bizarre situation. Hers was called People Screwed by Newsarati. It started mostly as a place to commiserate, but eventually it also became a place where we shared leads about Nuzerati, about the strange man we knew as Michael Esposito and his boyfriend Barrett, and even their dog, Kingston the Yorkie. And there were a lot of potential leads, like some old websites warning about a possible scammer that shared our guy's name, or a blog that appeared to be connected to one of the companies mentioned in the Nuzerati contract that contained a single phrase that Nancy found curious. It was just a, a single WordPress page on the internet that said, catch me if you can. That's all it said. Espo Media, catch me if you can. But we couldn't. These early leads just didn't amount to much. We didn't even know if they were him. Because it turns out, there were a lot of Michael Espositos out there. And over the next 18 months, the Facebook groups became less active. Some people dropped out. Nancy, however, she stuck with it. But eventually, as time went by, people's interest waned. I was always more upset. Speaking for myself, I wasn't upset anymore. 
I had landed a job that I truly loved. Life went on, and all this became a distant memory, like a hazy dream you can kind of remember years later. But I was still fascinated by the whole thing. I mean, it's not every day you get caught up in something that feels like a scam. Then, in early 2018, two years after Michael Esposito first waltzed into my life with a sharp tongue and a baby blue sweater, my curiosity morphed into something else. A lead showed up in a Facebook group. It was a full-page ad in a magazine. It had a photo, and there was no mistaking it. This was the same mysterious figure we had been keeping tabs on, sweater and all, and it pointed us to Michael's latest hustle, the wedding industry. Higher emotional stakes, more obvious financial payoff. This lead made me realize how much bigger this story was than just news Newsarati, how it didn't just happen to me and some other writers. It went much further than that. And even though a lot of us had largely moved on, this discovery shook us. I'm not mad anymore. It doesn't really matter. But what does matter to me is him not being able to do this continually over and over again, take people without care and part them from their money for his own selfish benefit that he seems to do over and over again and it needs to end. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Justin Sales, and this is The Wedding Scammer. Chapter 2. The Crooked Caterer. You ever see a picture of a ghost? That's what it felt like looking at this picture of Michael Esposito, Barrett, and Kingston back in 2018. The three of them had become almost folk figures, the key characters in one of the strangest things that ever happened to me. A story that I struggled to make much sense of, because it turns out I didn't know where the real story went. But this full-page photo changed that. It came in a magazine called Martin Luxury, the kind you'd pick up for free when you're leaving a grocery store. And inside the January 2018 issue, as part of a feature on quote-unquote power couples, there they were, the Newsarati Brain Trust. Michael, with his instantly recognizable bulldog frown, standing just behind Barrett, who was holding a smiling Kingston. It was shocking to me. Proof that they really existed, and I didn't imagine this whole thing. But even more surprising, Michael and Barrett had started a new business, a catering company, a catering company named Zencraft, about as far from Newsarati as I could imagine. And I had trouble wrapping my head around this. Michael Esposito had just wanted to build the next Huffington Post. And he had hired dozens of writers and editors to try to make it happen. Now he wants to cook for your wedding? I mean, who is this guy? Well, he gives a few clues in a small write-up next to this picture of him and Barrett. Here's my producer Bobby reading some of what Michael had to say. I'm an overachiever and often have unrealistic expectations. Barrett is a realist, which helps bring me down to earth and channel my creativity. Barrett, by the way, he has a last name now, and it's Walters. Barrett Walters. But the quote from Michael that really sticks with me comes toward the end. You have to work hard to earn success and love. Work hard to earn success and love. That certainly wasn't the case at Newsarati. But is it at Zencraft? Well, now that I have something to go off, let's investigate. 
The website for Zencraft isn't online anymore, but there's an archived version, and it looks very impressive. It said Zencraft did work for Uber, NBC, Versace, a bunch of high-end clients, which is amazing for a brand new company. But look a little bit closer, and you get the vibe that a lot of this was, well, fake. The website mentions awards for places like Wedding Wire, The Knot, the James Beard Foundation, BizBash, all highly reputable companies or organizations. The implication is Zencraft is a place you'd feel comfortable booking with. But I've reached out to all those places to confirm these awards. They all tell me they've never heard of Zencraft. That despite whatever the website said, they had never given this company any type of recognition. But while the Zencraft website no longer exists, you know what still does? The Yelp page for Zencraft. And boy, does that tell a story. It has 26 reviews total. Nine give Zencraft five stars. 17 give it one star. That's a nearly two-to-one ratio. Now, the five-star reviews, they speak glowingly of happy customers and amazing food and gigs that went off without a hitch. But those one-star reviews, man, they read like a greatest hits collection of terrible service. Bad entrees thrown in the trash. Service running hours behind, enough to make people leave a wedding to search for dinner. One employee who allegedly harassed female guests and tried to ply them with cocaine. There are more stories in these reviews, and they're about Michael himself. They talk about him picking fights with customers and just not delivering on what he promised. Here's my producer Jade reading an excerpt from one. It's from Carolyn L. in May 2018. We paid upfront in full a year ago, had a great tasting session, and decorations all planned. Michael kept postponing payments and reassuring us, even up until the week before our wedding but was unable to complete payment in order to book all of our vendors, venue, photographer, videographer, DJ. He then canceled on us completely, and we were left scrambling to put together a wedding in one week. He canceled a week before the wedding, one of the most stressful weeks of a person's life. Because he was in charge of planning everything, he left them with no DJ or a photographer or anything you need to actually have a wedding. When I spoke to Carolyn a few years back, She said that she and her now husband weren't happy, but they were able to adjust on the fly. They were also able to recover most of their money thanks to credit card chargebacks. But not every couple had even that much luck. I want to say right here that plenty of companies have bad Yelp reviews, and we've all been to weddings with underwhelming food. That's not a scam. That's just bad business. And if that's all there was, that's not let's make a podcast material. Even Carolyn's story doesn't amount to a scam. It's just a shitty thing to do to people. But a handful of reviews from early 2018 describe something that feels much more scammy to me. That Zencraft no-showed on a wedding and kept the money. Like they canceled just hours beforehand, leaving the bride and groom basically at the altar. This is every couple's worst nightmare. One of the people who left these reviews is named Joy. We spoke a few years back. Joy has a lot of experience planning weddings and happened to be working that day in 2017. So for this particular event, I was hired on as a photographer and then just a day of coordinator to assist with anything that the coordinators that were going to be there would need. Joy asked that I not use her last name, but she told me that Zencraft had agreed to provide not just the catering, but the decor, the bartenders, the DJ, and ice sculpture. 
But the week of the wedding, Joyce says the couple started getting nervous. They started feeling like Michael had cold feet. They had switched venues pretty late in the game, and Michael seemed frustrated about that. Joyce says she offered to try to smooth things over for them. But the way she describes it? He was pretty much just saying that, like, he had done weddings and he had done events for, like, very high-end people, and that was kind of his clientele. I got the sense that he figured that this particular wedding was, like, a waste of his time. That conversation ended with a lot of, like, I just don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. This was something Joy had never seen before. Michael had agreed to do this wedding, and now, the day beforehand, he was like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Then, the morning of the wedding, Joy says Michael called again. And so he's like, yeah, hey, I'm just calling to let you know there's just no way I can make it to this wedding. And I remember pleading with him, this man I don't even know, and I was like, please don't do this. I was like, don't do this to these people. Like, don't not show up for them. You're supplying everything. You're not just supplying just food. You can't not show up. And he's like, I know, but you know, I just can't do it. And frankly, I just don't want to work with this couple. Joy was in shock. In just a few hours, 150 or so guests were going to show up for this wedding. But now the caterer, the DJ, the decor, the liquor, all of it was gone. And Joy now had to make a decision. Tell the couple or save the wedding. Joy says she didn't hesitate. I knew that instead of just being the photographer now, I was going to be the full coordinator. She says she sprung into action. And with one of the bride's friends, they started making phone calls. They found a bartender, someone to decorate the venue. Miraculously, they even found someone to do the food on just a few hours' notice. Sure, there were no ice sculptures, and with no DJ, someone had to plug their phone into a speaker. But this wedding came together, against all odds. I was literally holding the camera with one hand, trying to cut pieces of cake with the other hand to feed to the bride and groom as I, like, wipe my hands off, trying to step back and take a photo, like... It was insane. It was not picture perfect, and it was definitely not what this couple had paid for. But Joy says she and a few others pulled it off. Still, even today, she's in disbelief. I think it was just really surreal to me that someone could, that someone could do that. It was just unbelievable to me. I want to stress, this is all Joy's version of what went down. But the couple did sue Michael Esposito and Zencraft in 2018, and their lawsuit backs up what Joyce said, that Michael Esposito was contracted to work this wedding, and then he never showed. And even worse, he kept the money. Michael didn't show up in court either, but a judge reviewed the case and awarded the couple a default judgment for more than $10,000. And this will become a recurring theme, a ruined wedding and a lawsuit or a vendor who wasn't paid and then took Michael to court. And a handful of these people won default judgments. But every plaintiff I've been able to track down has not been able to collect on that judgment. Because it's like we learned at Newsarati. It's hard to get this guy to pay his debts. But to me, the wedding situation feels different than Newsarati. That felt like a scam to us, but we weren't sure of how Michael was making money off of it. This situation with the catering company is more direct. Michael Esposito promised to provide services and then didn't deliver and then kept the money even after the courts told him to pay up. The fact that it happened repeatedly and the fact that he lured customers with bogus credentials only reinforces that for me. 
But as I think about this, I realize that us at Newsarati knew something was up almost immediately. And I wonder, what did the employees on the inside of Zencraft think Michael was doing? This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. A few years ago, I set out looking for people who worked for Michael Esposito at Zencraft. People who could tell me if the bad Yelp reviews and ruined weddings were anomalies or evidence of a pattern. And the first person I found who worked for Michael, we had something surprising in common. He was also trying to turn the Michael Esposito story into content. He thought this would make for a great documentary. Of course, I'm happy to connect, but at that point, I was like, like, oh, I hope this guy doesn't steal my project. That's Josh Bartolomeo. When he and I initially connected back in 2021, it was at the height of documentary fever. Netflix was rolling out films like Bad Vegan and The Tinder Swindler almost every week. Now, Josh's documentary didn't get far, but he never really lost interest in this story, which is lucky for me, because Josh spent a lot of time with Michael Esposito, a guy who was all too eager to brag about his rich family in Pennsylvania and his big plans for L.A. I opened the door, and he introduced himself, and he said, Hey, my name is Michael, and, uh, you know, this is my company. This is, you know, we're Zencraft Catering. And he just instantly started kind of loading his resume. I have an advanced degree from the American Culinary Institute, and I own a couple of restaurants in New York. Josh is describing the first time he met Michael, back in late 2016. At the time, Josh ran a screen printing shop on the outskirts of Skid Row, which is where Zencraft set up their first location. Throughout the next month, two months, I would see Michael regularly. And I, at one point, I mentioned to him that I had a lot of experience. This is how Josh came to work for Zencraft, picking up a few gigs a month, mostly as a server. Josh became pretty friendly with Michael and Barrett, grabbing dinners with them and trading stories. But something always seemed off to Josh. Like, why would this high-end caterer work out of a space like this? 
There is an industrial roll-up door at the front, a big garage door, mm-hmm. 20-foot ceiling with exposed pipes, concrete floor, which is all cracked up, one bathroom, no hot water. It was just cold water, dirt floor, pretty bare essentials. Now, Skid Row obviously isn't the most affluent part of LA, but there are still functioning businesses there. But Josh took me on a tour of this building. What he's describing, I saw with my own eyes. Busted concrete, dirt everywhere, and nothing that resembles a proper commercial kitchen area. Hell, with no hot water, Josh says they used to clean the dishes with Windex. There wasn't even gas for the stoves. This isn't a place Josh felt was appropriate for food prep. And it certainly wasn't a place where he would think to bring clients. But in his estimation, Michael was pretty good at dressing things up, sometimes past the point of recognition. Michael bought some fake shrubbery, some knickknacks from Pier One, some other things to make it all look more presentable. To me, it sounds like an in-the-flesh version of making up awards and slapping them on your website. It was, as Josh tells it, presenting an illusion that this company was good enough to cater your wedding. And it worked. Josh and other employees tell me that Zencraft booked a lot of gigs. Weddings, private parties at mansions, a gig at L.A. City Hall, a full calendar of events with high-end menus promising items like lamb lollipops and lobster mac and cheese. Except that fancy menu wasn't always what it seemed. Josh tells me the ingredients in the food were often lower quality than what Michael promised or just flat out not what the customer ordered which is something I've heard from several different people while making this podcast. Josh remembers it vividly. I just thought like, oh damn, he's gonna serve this fucked up lettuce like in a salad or he's gonna use this imitation crab for these crab cakes or whatever. Keep in mind, these customers were paying a premium and just not getting what they bought. Josh has one story about that that lives in my mind rent-free. Yeah, he's walking through the party with his vegan mushroom pate, and people are, you know, this is the vegan one? Oh my God, that's so delicious. Thank you so much. Michael walks back into the kitchen and out of the corner of his mouth, these people think this is a vegan pate. Like you could really get any of that flavor without chicken stock. I don't know a lot about catering, but I do know that Los Angeles is the last place you want to lie to a vegan. Now, despite Josh's misgivings, this wasn't a full-blown Nuzerati situation. For one, Zencraft was registered as an LLC in 2016. Plus, the company appeared to generate revenue. Those are two things it had over Nuzerati. But some paperwork and some cash doesn't exactly guarantee stability. Zencraft existed for about two years, and I could find at least five different addresses for this company. That's a lot of change in a short period of time. I also found names for at least four different head chefs. Prior to me taking the job, I looked them up online and super slick website. And it said that they had exclusive agreements to do uh, events at a number of places, including Skyspace in downtown LA with sticks in my hand. And I'm like, if they have an exclusive here, this is a pretty big company. That chef, Tim. He asked us not to use his last name, but Tim remembers being impressed by what he had heard about Zencraft before his interview. But that illusion shattered when Tim showed up for the job. Skyspace LA closed a few years back, so I can't confirm whether Zencraft had an agreement there. Tim, however, 
felt that the small rundown warehouse he worked out of didn't align with the image Michael was selling. My impression very early on was that I was at an organization or an entity that was pretending to be something else. And it wasn't a big leap for me to then think a couple of weeks down the road that he's pretending to be something he's not. Michael always seemed upset or stressed about a gig. He threw tantrums. Once, Tim says he even threw a pie. And while I've never spoken to anyone else who shared that specific story, I have spoken to many people who have witnessed this man throw whatever object was closest to him. And he came across as sort of a, you know, over-the-top sort of Disney character, like Disney villain kind of um, thing, just because he was kind of yelling at people and kind of being short, but then he'd pick up the phone and talk to a customer and be perfect and loving and, and charming and whatnot. Sounds like a toxic boss, which isn't exactly unheard of. But Tim says it went deeper than that at Zencraft, including what Tim describes as impossible asks. There was a time, I mean, we worked like 34, 35 hours straight, and then I had like six hours of sleep and went back and did it again. Tim says that Michael would overbook the staff taking any gig he could find, any payday, even if Zencraft was at its limits. Tim compares it to a house of cards. He was trying to present that he was a successful caterer, that he you know, could put on events and, and make money doing it, uh, but just didn't, didn't have the juice. Eventually, after Josh, after Tim, Michael would rebrand his catering operation. The name Zencraft eventually faded, and in its place came new ones. First, mint catering. Then, radish and rose. It was a chance at a fresh start, with none of the baggage or bad Yelp reviews attached to the name Zencraft. One of the employees in this new era was Allison Pryor. She told me similar stories to Josh and Tim. He was just rude, always, just like snapping at people. And I told you this, and what did I tell you? I didn't say, I said over here, not over there. He was just very like snippy and rude and like nasty, always. New company name, same old Michael. In spring 2018, Allison left a stable job at another company to come work as Michael's sales director. The upside was a decent salary plus commission, more than she had ever made before. But Allison, like others before her, says she quickly realized things were off. First, there was the kitchen. She tells me it was, in a word, dirty. That's maybe okay at home, but not normal for a high-end caterer. Next, Michael's clothes. Not the baby blue sweater I remember, but instead a new uniform, a velour tracksuit he wore every day with toothpaste kicked on. But what really got Allison were the things she says she witnessed Michael and his staff do. Chefs prepping food with toaster ovens, bartenders pouring cheap vodka into empty Grey Goose bottles, passing bottom shelf stuff off as something else. But despite everything she saw, Allison was asked to help promote this business. And that started with Yelp. He'd have me fake, he'd have us or himself, friends, or people fake good reviews. By the way, I may have a story that can vouch for that. Because one of the five-star reviews for Zencraft, it was left by a Barrett W. As in Barrett Walters. The picture even matches his. So all of these things, the fake reviews, the cheap vodka, the filthy kitchen, the Michael freakouts, These things were all on Allison's mind one day when an older couple came in for a tasting, which went so well that they were about to book with Michael. But Allison couldn't bring herself to allow that to happen. So shortly after they left, I called them. 
and was like, I just need you to know that this man will take your money and will not perform. And if he does, it will not be worth it. There's no way this will go right. I Please, please find someone else. The sales director killed a sale. She'd seen enough of Michael's antics. She couldn't let another customer get screwed. But not everyone walking through that door had someone like Allison on the inside. Someone who would look out for them. Instead, all they had was Michael Esposito. Let's talk about weddings. In terms of the most expensive things most of us will ever do, a wedding is right there behind going to college or buying a house or having a kid. But those other things are spread out over years. A wedding will run you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, maybe more, for basically one day, one perfect day, hopefully. So we got engaged August of 2016. That's Ellen Williams. And set our wedding date for August of 2017. Back in 2017, she and her fiance hired Michael to do their wedding. It was just called Zencraft and the whole environment that he created, the Zen space and the peacefulness and, and the that's magic what you of were energy. Into and the other voice you hear, that's Mark Williamson, Ellen's then fiance, now her husband. Since I started working on this podcast, Ellen and Mark were the couple I wanted to speak to the most. I had read about their wedding, in a lawsuit actually, a pretty brutal one. And for one of the few times in my career, I was nervous to reach out. What if it was too much for Ellen and Mark to speak? How annoying would a text message or an email be? So I do something I haven't done since I was a kid. I write Ellen and Mark a letter with a stamp and everything, and I send it. Two towns over. As soon as I opened it, I was like, babe, he's talking about the lawsuit, you know, and he's talking about Michael. And he was like, you're going to contact him, aren't you? I said, yes, you know, I'm going to call him immediately. To my surprise, they're excited to talk. Well, at least Ellen is. And a few weeks later, just shy of their sixth anniversary, I meet them at their photo studio in Pasadena to hear the story of their wedding. Ellen and Mark found Zencraft online in 2016. They didn't know that Michael had faked most, if not all, of the company's awards, so the website looked impressive. And when they visited the Zencraft Skid Row location, they didn't see the busted-up floor or the fact there wasn't hot water. They just saw everything Michael had done to pretty up the place. To Ellen and Mark, Zencraft seemed legit. And that started with Michael. He seemed very, very passionate about his craft and what he could offer for us. And he seemed like he really wanted to assist us and provide us with this dream wedding. Michael was a little rough around the edges, but Mark got it. Michael seemed kind of cocky to me, but, but it's like, well, when somebody's cocky, you know, a lot of times they're good at what they do. So Ellen and Mark booked with Zencraft, not just for the catering, but also the DJ, the decor, the videographer, some of the floral arrangements, a full-service wedding. And almost immediately after booking, Michael became very invested in their big day. It was kind of like his version of love bombing. He's constantly sending me pictures. Okay, you said you like this. Look at this one. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to get this. Oh, look at the flowers. So he is in constant contact with me. Constant contact all the way up to the day before the wedding when Michael called Ellen to tell her that everything was all set. 
The white roses for the arch, the food, the decor, the videographer. All the things they needed to make some of the best memories they would ever have. In Ellen's mind, everything was under control. Zencraft had this. But here's the thing about your wedding. You're too busy getting married to notice if you're getting conned. The next day, after putting on her makeup and her dress and going through the usual pre-wedding rituals, Ellen lined up at the top of the aisle. On one side, her son. On the other, her dad. It took a lot for him to get there. He was sick and on oxygen at that point. Ellen was filled with joy, but also nerves. She wasn't thinking about the flowers or anything else. She was letting her motor skills take over, one foot in front of the other. And then you get there, and you're just going through the motion, so you're not really paying attention. Ellen made it down the aisle, and the entire time, everyone's eyes were on her, because Ellen and Mark had asked their guests to be present, to keep the phones away for the ceremony. And then, when it came time for Ellen to say her vows. I'm never really speechless, and in that moment, it was time for me to say my vows. I had nothing. I just passed the mic over to him like, you go first. Mark obliged. Then Ellen said her vows, then the rings, then the kiss. And in that moment, they could not have been happier. But now that they were married, they started to come back from that out-of-body experience. Ellen and Mark wondered, where was the videographer? They hadn't noticed anyone filming during the ceremony. So they found the photographer. Maybe she knew. We asked her for, and I don't so remember. Who's, who's doing the video? Where's the, and she said, huh? There's no video. She said, I'm, I'm just here to take pictures. And then the whole tone of the day oh, yeah. <laughs> shifted. Ellen and Mark were in disbelief. Michael Esposito had promised them a videographer. They had paid for a videographer. And Michael told them the day before that it was all set. But as far as Ellen and Mark could tell at that moment, that person never existed. And those memories, those special moments they asked their friends and family not to record, they appeared to be lost to time. And this by itself was enough to keep Ellen and Mark from enjoying their wedding. But it also made them start to look closer. And they noticed a few other things that weren't as Michael had promised. The white roses that Ellen had picked out for the arch, they were replaced by some other cheaper kind of flower. Same goes for the DJ. This wasn't who they were expecting. The hors d'oeuvres weren't even what they had at their tasting. And the decor for the reception? The room itself was supposed to be all white. And he was supposed to have like this topiary situation with pictures of us and like telling our story. And... That plastic thing that he had up it, there. It looked like uh, some little third graders put together this, this board. And just and stuck pictures never. on it. There's no other way to put it. They were embarrassed. Remember his big thing was, oh, and I'm going to have a clock. And it's going to have the time of when yes. you guys met or something yes. like that. And so we're thinking some fancy line. clock. It was like a little target clock laying at the bottom on the ground. Like... Oh, my gosh. Everything was a cheap imitation of what they had paid for. Mark lost it. He couldn't process so many things going wrong at once. He stormed out of the reception. Ellen ran after him. They both felt helpless. They had just gone from one of the happiest moments of their lives to one of the worst. 
Ellen pulled a friend aside and asked her for help. Please help us to calm us down. We don't know what to do. She said, what can I do to get this back on track and change this whole mood? I said, turn on the music, let's dance. Give me a drink. I said, give us a drink and let's just dance. With everything now a disaster, they scrapped the toast and most of the other traditional activities, like the father-daughter dance. But there was one part of the program that they tried to keep as planned. The cake. This beautiful cake that we ordered was not the cake we received. The cake we received was melting and was like on a lean to the left or to the right. They showed me some of the pictures. It was really bad. I don't know what this cake was. When they wheeled that cake out, he just fell out laughing. Like, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah, it was to the point, it was like, man, what else can go wrong? And then I saw that cake and I just, I had to laugh to keep from killing this guy. There's one more thing. Zencraft was supposed to be in charge of keeping track of the gifts. And most of them were monetary because we were an established couple. Envelopes filled with cash or checks. Ellen and Mark say that they gave Zencraft a box for guests to put them in. But Ellen tells me that Michael never returned that box. She says every single gift that was placed in there never made it to her. To this day, we don't know what happened to our gifts. So yeah, we don't, we have no idea. In the months after the wedding, Ellen was understandably upset. She and Michael were in touch for a while. She says he agreed to a partial refund, and Ellen was also looking for the missing gifts and some of the other items that had been left behind in the chaos. But eventually, Michael's calls and texts slowed. Then, around October, they stopped. And Ellen says that the refund he promised never came. He had ruined her wedding and seemingly just pocketed the money. Ellen tried to find Michael, but he had changed locations. As you'll remember, he even changed the company name. But eventually, Ellen did some sleuthing and tracked him down at his new spot. I was outside. They wouldn't come out. But they were on the phone. They answered. And I'm talking to them, and I was like, I want my stuff and this, that, and the third. But then I guess that's when they completely disappeared. In August 2019, on their second wedding anniversary, Ellen and Mark sued Zencraft, Michael Esposito, and Barrett Walters. They were one of a handful of couples to do so between 2017 and 2019. This group includes some weddings where Michael provided the wrong food or decor. And there were at least two where he canceled just before the wedding, including the one I mentioned earlier. And I've spoken to other brides and grooms who say that he kept the money from their ruined weddings too. But Ellen and Mark's lawsuit is the most detailed one. It lists the missing videographer, the chintzy decor, the melting cake, the gifts that vanished. This is the lawsuit that's made me most wonder, how could this happen? Ellen and Mark's case didn't just pique my interest. She also tells me it got the attention of the people's court, like the TV show, Ellen v. Michael on syndicated TV. They were very interested in the story. And I was literally going to contact him, like, let's go on the show and let's get it resolved. At least somebody will get paid. You know what I mean? But just one problem. No one could find Michael. Same went for real court, too. It's a story I've heard or read about time and time again. Michael would get sued, but 
but no one could find him to serve papers. And then when the trial dates rolled around, he wouldn't show up. So in October 2019, Ellen and Mark's case was dismissed without prejudice, which is a fancy legal way of saying people want to preserve the right to refile their lawsuits, which remains an option should Michael ever turn up. For Ellen and Mark, resolution has been slow to come. It took us over a year to even look at our wedding pictures. You know, we don't have a wedding book. We couldn't send thank you cards because we didn't know who did what. We just kind of had to try to suck all that up. Ellen and Mark did try to recoup some of the emotional losses, some of the missed traditions and lost memories. So we had in our mind that, okay, you know what? On our first anniversary, we'll just try to recreate parts of the wedding and you'll get your father-daughter dance and you'll get to do those things. And when their first anniversary came around in August 2018, they threw a small backyard party. They did their best to run it back in front of a handful of loved ones. There were some nice moments that day. Speeches that were never given the previous year. A replica of the original cake, this one standing upright. Glasses clinking, people dancing without the baggage of a train wreck wedding. New memories. Not replacement memories, though. Because you only get one shot at that perfect day. Ellen's father, as you'll remember, was very sick at the time of the ceremony in 2017. He didn't even let me know how ill he was. He ended up passing away. We got married in August. He passed away in February. Lawsuits. Anniversary parties. Talking about it on this podcast. Sure, these things can help a little bit. But there's no replacing what's been taken away from them. We don't have a video. I don't have the last moments. The photographer did not take pictures with my dad and I. So, so many things that were missing from that day. So it wasn't really about the money, because we didn't care about that. But the fact that we missed, you know, on our day that we can never get back, all of those things are missing. Allison Pryor was excited when she got her first paycheck in February 2018. You'll remember Allison from earlier, the sales director, the one who saw the bartender pour cheap vodka into Grey Goose bottles, the one who warned the couple not to book with Michael. This paycheck came before all that, and Allison thought this check was pretty good, at least till she went to the bank to cash it. And when I gave it to the teller, he was like... Yeah, I can't cash this check for you, and I can't give it back to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said these words. He said, you're part of a scam. (laughs) I said, "Uh, you will watch your mouth, sir. (laughs) I am. If anything, I'm a victim of a scam. What are you talking about? The account number's wrong, you told her. The check's a fake. Literally not worth the paper it's printed on. I immediately texted Michael Mm. and was like, the guy just said I'm part of a scam. Like, what the fuck? And he was like, what? (laughs) Oh my God, what? Allison showed me a handful of texts between her and Michael about this check and other missed payments. It looked like the same script he used on Newsarati employees. There's a problem with my bank account. Or, that payment went through. What do you mean you don't have it? Delay, delay, delay. Until she realized the money would never come. Eventually, Allison quit. 
Luckily, she got her old job back. But even today, five years later, she still regrets missing the warning signs. I was like, this? I know I've been seeing this guy is just dirty and messy and wearing the same clothes, and I've been ignoring it, but there's no way that this check is now bouncing. <laughs> right? Like, what are the chances that this broke my fucking same dirty-ass tracksuit is actually not able to fucking pay me? Like, I, it still never... I didn't want it to be the case. But I was still in it, somehow. Allison brought the issue to the labor commissioner. But nobody could find Michael to serve him notice, and Michael didn't show up for the hearing either. And in December 2018, the commissioner's office ruled in Allison's favor, awarding her nearly $16,000. She's yet to be paid. It's a similar situation for Chef Tim. His first few paychecks actually cleared, but after a few months, they stopped coming. And when Tim complained, Michael made excuses in one feeble attempt at paying him with a stack of dollar bills. And not a stack of ones that were like just out of the bank, but ones that had been like collected and, and had been out in the world for a while and were wrinkled and stacked up and whatnot. And so I'm literally counting out ones, trying to get to a number in the thousands. And then and, and he was way, way short. A few weeks later? I went back to the warehouse and everything was gone. I mean, it looks like it was cleaned out like moments before I got there. I was just going to try to, you know, have a conversation with him. But it was all gone. Like Allison, Tim filed a complaint with the labor commissioner. Michael didn't show up for that hearing either, so Tim won. The judgment was for almost $19,000. Five years later, Tim also hasn't been paid. When I asked the labor commissioner's office, they dug up two more cases. And neither of these are for Bernie Madoff money. Another for 19 grand, one for 1800. But these people weren't mega rich. They were just normal working folks. In the eyes of the state of California, Michael owes them thousands. Same goes for the lawsuits. Zencraft was sued at least eight times in its short existence. Wedding couples, vendors, their landlord. And these lawsuits aren't for incredible amounts. The most anyone says they were out was about 19,000. But again, Michael appears to have never shown up to dispute the claims against him, so these lawsuits were either dismissed without prejudice or they resulted in more default judgments. In those, the judges repeatedly found that Michael failed to render services as promised or pay people what he agreed to. In all of these cases, to the best of my knowledge, none of the victims have ever seen a dime. But on top of the money, there's the emotional damage. And nobody felt that more than the wedding couples. To me, it's like, how dare you? Ellen Williams again. Who gave you permission to do that to people, you know, and to step into their lives in a moment of trust and just really purposely defraud them? You're looking at them with their joy in this moment, and you know what you're about to do to them. That is just not excusable. Stories like Ellen's are what helped me realize that my strange experience, this fake media company I maybe kind of worked for, it went deeper. Because at first I wondered, is Michael Esposito just a bad entrepreneur? But the Yelp reviews, the misleading website, the ruined weddings, the more I turned it all over in my head, the more it seemed like 
something worse. So in 2019, I approach one of my bosses at The Ringer about this, and they basically say, dig around, see what's up, keep me posted. And so I dig. I start searching court cases, and I pull up lawsuits. I reach out to the labor commissioner's office. I find other people who knew him, and we start having conversations. And I make some new friends, like Josh, the would-be documentarian, someone else who really wanted to shine a light on Michael. He succeeded in fooling a lot of people. I'm sitting here talking to you about my relationship with him, and I still want to believe that he's just kind of fucked up in the head, like in a sense that he just loses attention and then just goes fucking crazy. If everything that he's done is a predetermined plan, he fucking tricked me. And I spent probably three or 400 hours with him in his presence, you know what I mean? This was a guy, I, I fucking know this guy, you know what I mean? Except here's the thing. Josh doesn't know Michael Esposito at all. Or rather, he knows a man he called Michael Esposito. But it turns out... The fuck? His name isn't Michael Esposito? That's not even his real goddamn name? Next time on The Wedding Scammer. The, like, level of manipulation that happened, like, it was all calculated. They knew how to do all of this. The person wouldn't tell me what their name was. I was like, well, I'm going to know who you are, so it would just be easier for you to tell me now. 125,000. This is no joke. Then they're like, you know, everybody stop. We're the police. The Wedding Scammer was reported and written by me, Justin Sales. The executive producers are Juliet Littman, Mallory Rubin, and Sean Fennessy. Our story editor is Amanda Dobbins. The show was produced by Jade Whaley, Mike Wargon, Bobby Wagner, Vikram Patel, and me. Fact-checking by Dan Comer. Copy editing by Craig Gaines. The music in this series was composed by Justin Catoni of 13th Ward Social Club. Sound design by Bobby Wagner. Mixing and mastering by Scott Somerville. Art direction and illustration by David Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>